I'm Nancy Olison. How's the family? Many men and women take care of their parents as their parents get older. The nitty-gritty of the work often falls to women. More often, women are getting caught between the needs of their children and the needs of their own parents, even as they hold down jobs. These women are members of what's being called the sandwich generation. And according to a new survey, they don't ask for the help they need. Catherine Ringham is a care coordinator for Elder Care Partners. She provides one-to-one support to people who are caring for their elderly parents. She helps them find the information and training they need. She stresses that sandwich generation caregivers need to learn how to care for themselves and they need to reach out to get the financial, physical, and emotional support that is available to them. I met with her at the Wilder Foundation offices in St. Paul. So you know many families who are dealing with um, caring for their elders, and uh, primarily the work that you do is with the elders themselves. That's right. With elders, um, kind of the flip side to the elders is, is especially as I see them under uh, maybe a hospitalization, under home care or other circumstances, then you kind of automatically have a family that you turn to to assist, make long-range plans, help with decisions. Tell me about what you see when you're first, um, often you're first getting to know the older people, and then you, as you get to know the family, is it sometimes in an emergency situation? Yes, it often is um, a crisis-type situation that leads to uh, either a home care team or a social worker becoming involved. We have a program for caregiver coaching, too, so I can get involved with families through many doors. And, and often we, what we suggest as a, as a step in the right direction is a family meeting to kind of get everyone together uh, so they can be on the same page and you know, help with decisions or any changes that need to be addressed. Now, the National Association of Social Workers, they just did a survey, and they found that many women become caregivers of their elderly parents and parents-in-law, and this is often because they don't have the money to hire help, Um, but they also don't ask for the help that they need because they feel like they should be able to do it themselves. That's kind of what the National Survey found. Can you comment on that? Well, I believe that sometimes when caregiving, uh, the role emerges, it's uh, kind of an unexpected event. Um, There's been some sort of health setback. So um, caregivers who are in their middle years, um, who maybe have young children to care for, or who maybe even have four generations, they might have children and grandchildren that they're dealing with, or uh, a mother and a grandparent who's still alive with our longevity that we're experiencing. You know, they're, they're busy. They, uh, many uh, women in Minnesota work, so they, they just, um, it, it's another, uh, another ball to juggle in the air, and it sometimes is the piece that will put them right over the brink. And so, um, and, and it's, uh, the system, I believe, is, is still a little bit of a patchwork in that um, if you've never had to go through an experience of dealing with seniors and the services that are out there, it can be a brand-new experience and you frankly don't know where to start. Um, So uh, our idea with our program was uh, because each caregiving situation is unique, um, to start where the client is at and to to tailor and to um, help each specific caregiving situation one-on-one. So a social worker is then assigned to the family if the family comes to you for help. 
Yes, that's right, yeah. Uh, in our program, we have uh, four agencies that serve uh, four counties in the Twin City areas, and then uh, we are all trained social workers um, to provide the caregiver services. Mm-hmm. Why is it primarily women who do this work? Good question. I, I think um, a lot of that just comes with our, uh, our role as women in our culture today. There's certainly a huge bias towards women being the care providers, starting with young children and, and just going on and on. They do say that the best life insurance is to have more than one daughter, and, and that has remained true. I'm very lucky I have two, and they are being trained. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I do think that that is changing. They are, they are really finding more men now doing caregiving, and, and just as more men are taking are staying at home, stay-at-home dads, uh, you're also seeing a little bit of this with, with males. But in the main, the, the, the uh, percentages are still really quite high for women, and, and not just spouses, but daughters, nieces, nephews. Um, it's the women in the family that emerge. The other factor with that is is that even when men are involved, it's the women who tend to do the most challenging tasks related to caregiving. So the men typically get involved maybe with the finances, become the power of attorney. They may be in a position to do maybe some of the care coordination, kind of a managerial approach, whereas women are doing the dressing and the feeding and, <laughs> and you know, the, the more challenging personal care tasks and things like that. And those can be the challenging emotional tasks, too. That's right. Um, I think as we learn more about the caregiving role, one of the strongest uh, issues that's emerging is just the physical and emotional uh, long-term consequences of being a caregiver. I was at a conference last week and heard that most people who enter a caregiving situation guess that they will be involved up to about two years. But in reality, it's between four and eight years that the caregiving situation goes on, and sometimes much longer than that. So it's an open-ended commitment that you make, and uh, it can have a real emotional toll. For instance, depression is highly correlated with being a caregiver, especially if you're a caregiver to someone with, a, with memory loss or a dementing illness. It, it is known that caregivers have a higher percentage um, of, of alcoholism, of, of use of psychotropic drugs and medications. Um, they experience higher anxiety, higher stress. And so some of the programs that are out there are trying to address those issues and make sure that uh, help is, is uh, that they're made aware of that and how to get, get the help that is out there. How can someone prepare to be a caregiver? You're watching your parents get older and thinking in your head, you know what, pretty soon things are going to change here. Uh, That's another great question. I think the big word out there is planning, and you can do this um, almost starting at any age. And there are a lot of tools and strategies out there now to help families with this planning piece. Um, Mary Pfeiffer, in her book, Another Country, um, suggests, for instance, an annual family meeting where maybe at Thanksgiving everyone gets together and you just kind of take a bead on how things are going for this year, what are some of the issues that might happen in the, in the years ahead. But there are definitely legal and financial planning tools that can be done almost at any age. There are backup plans, um, the Plan Bs, as we talk about, that need to be developed. Most seniors um, very much want to stay home, and and that is um, certainly possible in today's world. There's a lot of services out there to make that happen. But because uh, the future is unpredictable, it's always a wise move to have a backup plan and have your name on the waiting list of places, even though that may never happen. 
You also see abuse when when these situations escalate because of the stress associated with the the caregiver's life and the life of the elder. Can you talk about that? Uh, yes, as we mentioned earlier with the, the emotional impact, the depression and anxiety and frustration, anger, guilt, all of those strong emotions that could come along with a caregiving role. If this goes on and is unaddressed, um, uh, abuse can happen, and I think it it's, uh, would be almost a natural consequences of this um, you know, heady brew of emotions um, that are out there. Um, and another piece of that is probably just education. Um, where one sees this probably most frequently is dealing with memory loss, a care receiver who has a dementing illness where it takes the most patience and the most education and training to have a successful caregiving outcome. I want to talk about the children of the family. If the, the caregiver and her partner or the caregivers have uh, children, which often is, is the case, sometimes those are younger children, sometimes they're you know seniors in high school, and they are sometimes a part of this situation just kind of by default. Can you talk about, do you know examples of families where you see the children being involved or the children suffering from neglect uh, from the situation? Uh, yes, I, I, I do believe that that often happens because in this juggling process, uh, sometimes um, you just can't be stretched. The, the sandwich caregiver just can't address and be, give as much time to all the people in her life as, as they would like to. So uh, families need to be really creative on how to, um, to keep the family normalized. Um, often I think of it as when an illness enters a family, it's, it kind of creates a life of its own and can take over. But the role of, of family, the best outcome would be to put the illness in its place and to recognize that, um, that developmental needs need to go forward, and, and that's also important. And there are limits to caregiving, and the seniors need to know that as well. Yeah, and there are resources out there for children. Um, it, it's actually been identified as um, kind of a, a standalone caregiving niche that is children as caregivers. Um, and I'm aware that England and the U.K. have organized the most. They're about 10 years ahead of the U.S. in terms of their caregiver planning. So they have um, recognized this as a need and have after-school programs and weekend programs for children who act as caregivers, either to a, a parent who has extra needs or a grandparent that they're put on duty. Hasn't this always been the case that in family life, our parents grow older, we see changes, and we step in to help. What's different? Uh, first of all, hasn't this always been the case? This has always been the case for time uh, immemorial. That, that is very, very true. Um, what's different today um, is, is simply our, if we take a hard look at family life today, number one, people don't stay put anymore. We're geographically very dispersed. So the long-distance caregiver um, comes into play. Um, in Minnesota, I think we have one of the highest rates of working women. Women are working, so they're adding to their to their life by working, and that simply wasn't there before. They were a lot more home based. There has been uh, there has been a lot of so there's been a lot of contextual changes that have taken place uh, within our culture. So it it's it has it has very dramatically changed in terms of the context today. Um, the other thing is people just to start off with people are living so much longer. 
the longevity revolution is is uh, 2011 will be uh, the date that the boomers start turning 65, and I think we're all kind of mentally aware of that and and trying to get ready, but we are woefully behind. Uh, with only 9% of social workers, as an example, who are chosen to specialize in this area. And I think that that's reflected also in geriatricians and nurses and across the whole health arena. What stories do you have of elders who don't have family or families who don't step in to help elders? Uh, seniors who live alone uh, do, prevent, do present um, a huge challenge to professionals who are trying to help. If they have means, then they're in a, in a better position to uh, have more options. Um, if they don't have means, then um, it, it is a challenge to figure out which programs are available to them. Um, you always start with what they want to see happen. Um, the big kind of divide that happens is if there is any memory loss um, in our culture on, until and unless that has been decided or medically part of your health picture. You're free to make any decisions you want. Autonomy is, is the number one rule in America. But so you can make what, what we call you, can, you get to make poor decisions is really what it's all about. But if there is a dementia illness in there, then for better or worse, then some um, measures like conservatorships or, um, you know, legal measures may need to be taken. Sometimes adult protection from the various counties needs to become involved. Too. I don't know what a conservatorship is. A conservatorship is a is a legal step where the courts get involved to give control to another person. Yeah, and they become the conservator for that person. Now, we Minnesota is a rural state. Tell me about what you know of the rural elder, the elder who is living in a small town or out on a farm. Well, that's often where isolation um, emerges as a as a big issue. Um, in addition, uh, in the, some of the rural areas, they don't have access or easy access to as many programs or services that you would find in an urban area such as the Twin Cities. So I think the social workers and the, um, the service providers need to be especially creative. Uh, transportation in working with seniors is regarded as probably the number one issue, no matter where you are in the urban, but in the uh, rural area, that is a really huge problem because people are at such a distance. What else would you like to add to my story? I'm um, primarily, as you know, speaking about and, and studying the women of the sandwich generation and what their needs are. Um, what else comes to mind? Do you have a situation like this in your own home? Um, I'm actually, I am a personal caregiver to my, to my uh, parents. Uh, we are in, in entering our fourth year of providing 24-hour care to my parents who um, still live in their own home. We have uh, hired my sister to be the primary caregiver, and then one of my brothers lives in the home. So every year it it's, looks a little differently, and, and that, that has worked out fairly well so far. But, um, um, oh, but I should just, just finish up that, that my daughters are growing. They're in their late 20s um, and, and 30 now. So uh, I've kind of missed being a, a sandwich caregiver, but not by very much. And uh, as people know, uh, children in their 20s still have a lot of needs too. <laughs> so I'm juggling. Yeah. Um, anything else that comes to your mind? Something that you hope for for these women? Let's say that some one of these women hears my story and they say, "I didn't really realize there was, you know, what I I didn't realize what I could do, or, or how I could get help, or I didn't realize uh, 
that I've been shouldering too much, you know, or, or, you know, I mean, I think um, what this survey is talking about is some sort of resistance on the part of, of women of, of our age group who are thinking that, you know, they're, they're sort of expected to do it all. Um, actually, caregiver identification has emerged as, as kind of a big issue. In other words, people um, don't take on that that role or that word. They don't think of themselves. So I think step one is just to to get yourself to that point where you're where you're believing that you're a caregiver, and that way you'll start to tune in to uh, what is out there to help. Um, so you're already a caregiver, but suddenly you realize you have a title. Right. So then, so then the next step is to uh, perhaps call the MAAA, the senior linkage line, and find out what's in your in your neighborhood or your area to assist. Traditionally, the the biggest sources of help have been support groups, training. Um, the disease specific organizations have been very helpful. But now there is this new layer of kind of one to one caregiver services that's out there. There's also um, the beginnings in our community of programming for um, early stage Alzheimer's disease. Uh, much more uh, developing around um, having the care receiver and the caregiver come together to do some planning at the early stages of some of these illnesses. So the earlier the better that people can identify that this is coming at them, that they can they can uh, learn as much as possible, uh, get a medical diagnosis to... Um, to just start talking to the family and developing a, a team or a network of people to give care. Do you, do you see resistance when maybe somebody starts in on trying to get some resources and then they sort of fade away because, A, maybe they're, they're just very busy? Or maybe a sort of a stoicism that's, that suggests within the family, either from the elder or from the caregiver or both, we don't need that. Yes, families come in all shapes and sizes and values and, and worldviews, and therefore, you know, every family um, has a, kind of an inner sense of what this should and could look like. So that really is, is an issue to, uh, to get past that. But I'm thinking about the way that, that as a family get, has to get past that, and sometimes they don't. I mean, sometimes just like in any organization, you go, whatever happened to the... Olafsons, they were all here, and now, you know, what what was it that went wrong? How did they not connect with the resources that could have been given? Well, I think it's a process, so, you know, it takes some baby steps. Um, often the biggest uh, source of resistance, if you want to call it that, is from the senior itself, either uh, due to financial reasons, they don't want to pay for, for it, um, or they're not open to hearing about some of the options that are being given, such as a move to an assisted living, um, if that's not what they want to do. So an adult child sometimes gets between a rock and a hard place where they have done some homework on it and they've developed a list of options and then they take it to their parent and it it um, it doesn't go forward. Um, so that's certainly a barrier. I think um, just the barriers with, with certain families is that this is a family that, that can do this and so um, they don't seek outside help until things get to a crisis point. Um, and then, and then they perhaps have to. So, or you know, I think the the beauty of accepting the services earlier and getting involved with what's out there to help is that uh, our our society can save some money in terms of uh, the frequent hospitalizations and nursing home institutionalization. That can be prolonged in the home. Um, 
with our wealth of caregiver services that are out there today. I'm also thinking about how the phone works because the phone is a big source of how, how we communicate, a big way that we communicate within a family. And the sibling who is living in the town where the parent is struggling sees from day to day changes. She tries to tell the brother in Montana what's happening. He calls mom and he says, you know what, I had a great conversation with mom. She sounds fine. So then there's this trio of communication, and I have found this personally, and I'm curious if you're seeing that, where the person who is the closest to the situation might not be able to stress enough what the needs are. Or, this is the second part, the person who's closest to the situation doesn't see how dramatically things are changing because she's in it all the time. Yes, that is very true. Uh, families um, families really struggle with with having the siblings that you know try to coordinate and all get on the same page. It really is a challenge given our society where people are are across the U.S. and and beyond for everyone to understand what the current situation is, what some of the challenges are, and sometimes the nearest caregiver, the one who's doing the most, also is the one that gets the most negative back from not only the family who doesn't see it that way or um, or the senior. They, they, the senior is, is maybe depressed and not in a very happy position, and so that caregiver really takes a brunt sometimes. But then when the senior, the parent, talks to the son in Montana, yeah. oh, it's all good, and, and uh, you, you know, so the, the, um, that son is getting a different picture of how things are going, and... And then the sister is trying to say, you know what, it's it's hell over here. Or you know what I mean? I'm saying, right, right. And sometimes uh, what some families do is is work out a situation where the elder moves around. Okay. You know, I have seen that scenario. Um, but you're very right about the telephone and how. Um, how devious that can work in terms of getting to the bottom of the situation, especially with memory loss. For instance, um, I often work with families where uh, a phone call needs to be generated to remind the elder to take their medication, and that works pretty well, um, but because you really can't see if they're taking the pill, (laughs) then they may not even be taking the pill. And um, dementia is one of those illnesses that um, can be covered very easily with social graces. For quite some time, it becomes pretty invisible, particularly over the phone. So it's very easy for out-of-town caregivers or people who don't see the elder in a 360 view to not pick up on some of the, the cha- changes that are going on, and it creates a lot of, a lot of stress for <laughs> the local caregiver, definitely. Sometimes the, um, the uh, caregivers who live at a distance you know, are called the champagne uh, siblings because they can come in and breeze in for a short period of time and leave and everything's been hunky-dory and fun, and the senior has risen to the occasion and, and um, put on their best face. And then when things res- re- resume the, the normal pace in life, then um, it goes back, and, and uh, the, the gaps were never addressed or met, and everything, everyone thinks everything is fine, and it is not. <laughs> Again, I underline the, um, the impact of a, of a well-coordinated family meeting 
to, um, especially with a medical uh, input into the family meeting, so everyone has a good understanding of not only the diagnoses or the the, the few diagnoses, because most seniors have more than one, uh, the medication list, um, and then most importantly, the impact of that illness on a daily life. What does that translate into in terms of daily care? All of that can be discussed and reviewed in the context of a family meeting, and that can then be help set up plans, divvy up tasks, and uh, do it in a more equitable manner. How does someone find you at the Wilder Foundation? Well, we can be found through the MAAA, the Senior Linkage Line, is kind of the uh, Minnesota's largest source of information and referral. So certainly that would be a place to start, and they are well-versed with the needs of caregivers and how to access the growing number of programs that are out there to help family caregivers. We have a website from the Wilder Foundation and also through Elder Care Partners would be another quick way to, um, to gain access to our programs. Is there a fee involved in using your programs? Uh, We are lucky recipients of a federal uh, grant to do our caregiver program. So in that regard, the costs are very low. Just uh, in the last year, we have implemented a a cost-sharing program where uh, recipients are requested to put in up to, I think it's $64 for three months, but it's not a mandatory uh, charge for that. Uh, and and um, some people, sometimes we get more than that and sometimes we don't get any, but our purpose is to serve everyone. You've been listening to my conversation with Katherine Ringham. She's the caregiver coach for the Wilder Foundation's Elderly Care Program. Ringham provides care coordination and caregiver support services through an organization called Elder Care Partners. On the How's the Family blog that's called Sandwich Generation Caregivers, I've linked to some resources for caregivers and elders. Several of these links can put you directly in touch with services available in your area. Are you a Sandwich Generation caregiver? Or do you have someone in your family who is? What do you think are the challenges that caregivers face? I'd love to hear from you. You can comment on my blog. How's the family? I'm Nancy Olison.